0: For me, I can only since I have ADD. If I have ten things on a list, they all scream at me at the same volume. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what it is. One could be, you know, go get the mail, and the other could be pay that bill that's due, and the other one could be uh, go save a life. They all have the same volume to me. I can't figure out my big rocks, my little rocks. My I I can't do it. So for me, I can only look at one, two, or three things a day. So only tens. What if, what if I got hit by a car today and went to the hospital has to get done today, or I really want to get done today?
1: A question asked courageously, answered honestly, and lived authentically can change your whole life. For me, that question was, how can I use what I have, what I love, and what I know to bless the lives of others? The School for Good Living and this podcast are one answer to that question. Hi, I'm Brian Miller. I know that the world can work for everyone, but that it won't until it works for you. I've created this to help you make the difference you were born to make. It's a series of conversations with thought leaders who are moving humanity forward. And in each episode, I explore their lives and the work they do. I also ask them to break down how they've gotten their books written, published, and read. This podcast is all about exploring the magic and mystery, and sometimes the misery, of the creative process. So if you have a mission, a message, and a motivation to share it, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the School for Good Living. Today, my guest is Mark J. Silverman, author of Only 10s, Using Distraction to Get the Right Things Done, and the forthcoming book, Mastering Midlife, How to Thrive When the World Asks the Most of You. Mark has generated over $90 million in sales and received numerous awards over his 15-year career at fast-moving, fast-growing companies, mostly in the tech world, Mark started using drugs at the age of 13. He was homeless, living in a truck, eating cookies and Diet Coke that he purchased from a gas station using a gas station credit card. He made his way to Washington, D.C., where he turned his life around, got sober, and built a very successful career for himself in sales. As many times as the case in life, his life worked until it didn't. Married, two kids, divorced, very sick and unhappy thinks he's gonna die, makes three decisions in his life that he talks about in this interview. Makes them all happen, turns his life around, figures out who he is, what he's called to do, and what he wants in this world. Mark is also the founder of MasteringMidlife.com, and he has a podcast by the same name. I think Mark's message of what it means to live a good life and how to get there is actually pretty powerful. I find Mark's story very moving, and the honesty and authenticity with which he pursues his life's purpose is pretty powerful. To me, it's further evidence that living is a messy business. I heard someone once say, there are no straight lines in nature. I think that's true in life as well. We often don't know exactly what we want, who we are, where we're going. But if we continue forward, asking certain questions. Finding friends from whom we can learn and enjoy the journey that very often good things happen Yes trials too, but opportunities to learn and grow to serve others to have fun and Mark shares about his journey in such an honest and vulnerable way that uh, I find it really moving I think you will too. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my new friend mark Silverman Mark welcome to the school for good living. Thank
0: you for having me. I'm really honored.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Mark, will you tell me please, what's life about?
0: You know, I've heard you ask that question before and I, I practiced my answer because, you know, everybody, everybody who's come on your show has had an answer. And what I've finally come to and finally realized is it's about what you want it to be about. Like there is no right answer for that question. You know, we're here and we're here for a reason we, and we make it up as we go along and that's it. That's all I've ever got. People come to me all the time. I want to know my purpose. What do you want to do? Done.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think we might overcomplicate that, right? And that's one thing that I'm really fascinated by is the ability to declare and live our purpose in any moment. Yet it's something that I think it's a responsibility or maybe an opportunity, depending how you look at it, that can be pretty scary. I mean, it's liberating but scary, at least as my view. What have you discovered or declared about yourself when it comes to your purpose then? If it can be anything, what is it for you? That, that, one's, that one's definitely more specific. So way
0: back when, when I first took my first coaching class from Alan Cohen, who wrote Relax Into Wealth, and you're, you're not as, are you as happy as your dog. It was Alan who convinced me to become a coach. And in his coaching class, he, he said, you know, put this on a sticky note and put it all around your house. Spirit is calling me to blank. And I spent four days just miserable going, Spirit's asking me to eat chocolate chip cookies, to listen to the Judds, to watch porn. Well, I don't know. <laughs> like, and it took days. And I was a sales guy at the time. And finally, it dawned on me, and it came to me in like light, lightning. Spirit is calling me to connect. Hmm. And I was like, great, what do I do with that? and if, you know exploring connecting connection connecting to myself connecting to others connecting to some sort of higher power or deeper meaning was how i started become you know bringing that into my sales career so every day was an absolute opportunity to live my purpose which you know i'll call that connecting is my purpose
1: yeah that that's beautiful and there's so much about connection i think that's so profound where You know, you and I both as coaches, I think we've probably seen this thing where people come to us for a very specific issue, but it's usually things that are more observable or direct, like how do I earn more money or how do I have a more fulfilling relationship or get my kids to obey me or, you know, whatever. But really, I think what's behind that are these deeper needs like connection or purpose or contribution it's, it's pretty remarkable, but oh, good wait. for you for being able to, to listen and fill in that blank spirit is calling me to. What do you think allowed you to have the clarity or the certainty once you were able to hear that to know, okay, that's it. I mean, that's pretty abstract, connect. Like you were saying, what does that mean? How do, how do you think you arrived at a, a sense of like certainty or clarity about that was the thing?
0: Cause, because you're talking about it now and I'm close to tears, right? Mm. When I think about it, do you remember when Susan Boyle did her video and that shock, the you know, the shock of everybody. Just and blew then, everybody away. And then we all I sobbed, like just sobbed. And I watch America's Got Talent or any all the I watch these talent show things all the time because I it breaks open my heart and I sob. Hmm. And for me, it's because I feel a connection. I feel the audience connected with the, like that that connection, which we can we can we can go all the way down the rat hole of. That's God. That's oneness. That's you know we all get on the same frequency right 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 after 911. The so for me you know as soon as someone cracks open and says a truth to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, boom, that 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 circuit closes and I could just break to tears. So my joy is when I feel that click in. It's it's what I live for. It's my drug. Yeah.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful and so your book only tens. So there's a title, and, and I have to be honest. When I read the title, I'm like, am I, am I misreading it? <laughs> only tens, using distraction to get the right things done. Now that's the book that you've that you've already written. I understand you have another one that's about to come out, Mastering Midlife: How to Thrive When the World Asks the Most of You. Is that, have I got that right? I love
0: a host who does his, his who does his uh, <laughs> research. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, so that's, that's right. Okay. And maybe it's the same audience or maybe it's a different audience, but I'm wondering, and if it's different, that's wonderful, but will you tell me who did you write these books for and what did you want it to do for that? Sure.
0: So only tens was, was written specifically for one human being on the planet. And that was me. Hmm. I wanted to have a PhD and how to deal with my ADD and run a business and raise a family and function in the world. You know, I was just having so much trouble. Staying on task, you know, when I was a sales guy, I had a sales manager and VPs who were hammering me every day. Where's the sales cycle? Where are you in the sales cycle? What's happening? And I had, and you know, my fear of being caught not knowing drove me to do the things I need to do. Now that I'm an entrepreneur, my sales manager is an idiot. It's Hmm. me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and he would much rather watch Netflix, Yeah, (laughs) you know? So Mr. Robot is so much more important than following up on the people that I met last night. So for me, it was, it was my spending a whole summer getting a PhD in what are distractions, right? What's real? What do I really want? What do I think I want? I was just talking to someone and they, and they said, you know, like, your mouth wants cake. Your stomach never wants cake, right? And learning the difference between what your mouth wants and what your stomach wants. Mm. And that's only 10s for me figuring out when is Facebook an absolute distraction and a suck of my life and time? And when is Facebook uh, something that I connect with my friends and family, right? When, how, how do I use everything in my life and how am I a choice? So again, it was also me going from a victim of circumstances because you know, I, I call myself earnest in the book because I was earnest. I was everything to everyone all the time. And you know, and I kept dropping the ball and I kept, you know, like everybody else's agenda was important. And I started to learn, oh, everybody else's agenda is important because I am afraid to say no. I'm afraid to not be liked. I'm not afraid no. not to be seen as Johnny on the spot. So this whole book was an ex- exploration for myself. The way it got written was the day I decided to write the book, and I thought I was crazy for wanting to write a book, I met someone who worked at a place called the Author Incubator where they, help, they put you in a program, a three-month program, to get a book out of you. And for a guy with ADD, having a published date was the smartest thing because after three months i'm off to the next book like like uh, like i can't even stand what i've already i I wonder how like elton john sings the same songs over and over again like i can't even imagine what it's like to do that right so for me that deadline was perfect so the book was written had grammatical errors it sold fifty thousand copies people loved it you know and but it was out
1: so that's how that was written no, there is definitely a power in a deadline. No, no doubt about that. And I find it a little bit ironic, maybe that someone who describes himself as having ADD and all of these other commitments and obligations decides to write a book, you know, in that universe of possibility that you fixate on that one thing, but also you get it done. You know, like that's, that's pretty remarkable to me because I know a lot of people want to do that, but not many people do.
0: That was, that was actually something my coach, Rich Liffen pointed out to me once was, he, he says, you know, Mark, you know how many people have told me they want to write a book? And I'm like, I don't know, everybody. And he goes, you know, how many people write a book? I'm like, I don't know, a lot of people. I see a lot of books. He goes, no, almost nobody. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. So it's funny, because the premise of Only 10s happened when I was talking to Rich, and I said, Rich, I don't get things done. I can't get anything done. And he says, I just think that's bullshit, Mark. I just don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I started thinking back, You know, 10 years ago, I was, you know, how I became a coach and my origin story is, you know, I was really depressed and I had separated from my wife and my career was in the tank and I thought I was going to die. I was really, really sick. And I made the decision that if I'm going to die, I need to leave a million dollars for my kids and my ex-wife. I need to give $60,000 to charity because I just hate myself and I wanted to leave some kind of legacy and I'm going to run the Marine Corps marathon. And I couldn't run a mile. Like I couldn't even run a mile.
1: So you made these three decisions. Yeah. Which I'm really curious about. I want to zero in, and I want—I definitely want you to keep going. But I, when I read the sixty thousand dollars to charity, that's a pretty random number to me. Is there some rationale behind that?
0: Yeah, there was. I was really sick, and that's what I estimated insurance paid for helping me get better.
1: Okay, so and I kind felt of a... really
0: guilty that yep. I took. I I had like I was I hated myself so much at that point that I hated that I took money that somebody else could have needed. Yeah. Like I couldn't even take my money from my insurance. i had such low self-esteem and I decided I wanted to somehow pay back the money that I took from the universe to heal me, heal myself.
1: So you've got these three outcomes that come to you as something that you commit to do. If you'll permit me, I want to go back because I hear you saying this is a sort of origin story, how you got clarity, how you got on the path you're on right now. And also, there's something I read online about you. You say that you arrived in D.C. on September 1st, 1989, <laughs> you as a hundred, right, as a hundred and thirty pound vagabond, battling addiction and homelessness. Now yes. that's twenty years yes. before what you're talking about here. So I'm wondering if there's an origin before the origin.
0: There's, there's totally an origin before the origin. I was you know I, I was a failed I was a failed state as a human being, you know, when I started out, you know, as a sex addict, a cocaine addict, an alcoholic, a drug addict, uh, you know, I ended up homeless and my brother was living in DC and he owned a bunch of restaurants and and I was driving around and living in my pickup truck and I was trying to get some money from him just so I could eat. And he said, why don't you come to
1: DC? And where had you grown up? Where were you coming to DC from?
0: Oh, I had grown up on Long Island in New York. But I was living. I, I had just been thrown out of where I lived in Colorado.
1: Oh wow! And and, and I and I read that you had started doing drugs at thirteen. Yeah, is that is that right? Yeah, okay. well, you know,
0: like a good Long Islander. Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and hockey. Right? Isn't the hockey part of the, it, the Long Island? It, I,
0: you're one of the few people who, hockey and lacrosse. Lacrosse okay. was huge on Long Island before it was every place else. But uh, wow. that's, that's another story. So, yeah, it's... so I, I, I was driving around. I, I, I decided to drive to Portland because there was this girl that I had a crush on that I met in New Mexico, and she said she was moving to Portland. And really, honest to God, I have no idea how I was ever going to find her. I didn't even know her last name. But it would I probably drove... helped. She
1: was named Rainbow, though. Right? Yeah, <laughs> no,
0: I do. So, I drove, to, I drove to Portland, and at, at, when I drove, to, I drove to Seattle first, Seattle scared the hell out of me. That's where she was moving. Seattle was so big and I was like, I had no money and I was going to find a homeless shelter. And I said, I can't stay there. And I had a Unicall 76 card. So that was, that was how I was living. That was the only credit card that had any room on it. So I'd go to, from Unicall 76 station to Unicall 76 station. So this
1: a gas station card. This is yeah. where you'd buy cookies I and- bought cookies and
0: Diet Cokes and that's what I lived on. And then I went to Portland. Then my brother said, come to DC. So I wound up driving across country and coming here and my brother was sober and he put me in NA he put me in AA wound up going to school right and and that's when that's when i you know i, I say you know 6 years later i was married and had a a millionaire and driving a Lexus convertible and i was like Basically, I'm a short Jewish Tony Robbins. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that's my so things were that going story. pretty well.
1: And then for
0: years, for years, you know, yeah. like once, once, once I got my college education, and I was, you know, and I and I, I got I graduated college after I had kids and after I was married. My ex-wife and I were having problems, and you know, the career, like I, being a high tech sales guy was not sustainable for me at that time. I did not have the tools. I was terrified every day. I was in over my head, even though I was really successful.
1: Yeah. It was just a
0: lot for me. And well, I you understand
1: know, my, you had a commission check a single check for 380 grand. Is yeah. that is that true? Yes. So you're like terrified maybe by this but you're successful.
0: Oh, and people would hire me at startups and they would say Mark Silverman is the best sales guy I know. And I'd be wondering who they're talking about. Wow. Because I just I just never I could never own any of that.
1: But you're doing it sober by this time. This is I not was so, like I've a been cocaine sober 30 years. Fueled- I've been That's sober 30 ing- years. That's pretty incredible. So let me let me just ask about this while we're on it. Is there any part of the imposter syndrome that was part of this, or something? I mean, Every like, day how of do my you... life. So that was that was really present for you.
0: Always, always. You know, if people knew how much I didn't work, how much I was distracted, how much you know how hard things were for me, how uh-huh. scared I was when I walked into a meeting, if people knew these things, they'd never hire me. They'd never let me go. You yeah. know, and my, my ex-wife used to say, you know, Mark, I don't know how you do it every month, every quarter, like a rabbit out of a hat,
1: you overachieve that goal. I'm like, uh, I have no idea either. I just don't know. <laughs> but you're doing it. And that's, that's something I've been so fascinated by as I've gotten inside the private lives of successful people as you know, a coach tends to do to see that people achieve extraordinary levels. Many people achieve extraordinary levels driven by really disempowering emotions. Now, not everybody. But many people, and it's not what's obvious to look from the outside. People look really put together. You know, they're well dressed, they're articulate, they get things done. You know, nobody's perfect, but for the most part, and that's pretty remarkable that you're in this life and, and you've you've turned around from this addicted young man, you know, who's living in a truck, <laughs> to somebody that's married, has kids, is you know bringing in six-figure commission checks. And yet, there's still something about that that's not working either. If I'm reading it right or understanding it right, it's just a different form of unworkability.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Right. Because so
0: my motivation was not being caught, not know, you know, not being caught a failure. My motivation was to never be homeless again. So I always kept money on the floor of my car. Mm -hmm. I've always kept money in my glove compartment. In fact, I've hid money all around my house just in case I'm homeless again. You know, I did that for years.
1: You don't do that anymore. I actually don't. Okay.
0: <laughs> when I became a, when I became a coach, I actually had four thousand dollars stashed in tinfoil in a in back of a file cabinet. And wow. you know, when I when I quit my job, became a coach, had an ex-wife that I was for, I did go in and take that four thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> wow. to pay a bill. But you know, you talk about the motivations. That will fast forward to what the next book is about and that is the drives and motivations that get us to success in the first place through our 20s and 30s usually yeah. like i need to impress daddy i don't want to be seen as a failure i need to get like nobody can know that i have dyslexia so I'll, I'll study three times as hard as everybody yeah those things start to crack and that's where midlife comes in right those things start to crack and wane and they're as un- like you said it's unsustainable yeah to be successful from fear you're either yeah. going to break down you're going to get sick you're going to sabotage yourself because right. you can't sustain that it has to come from something i hate to use the word but something more authentic something more organic in order yeah. for it to be sustainable
1: yeah and and so that maybe brings us right back to where you, we were because that's what happened to you that now we here we are at about did you say 2009
0: 2008, eight, two thousand nine. Right, my ex-wife and, and I you're... are having such problems. We're just, we're just not clicking. And my, my career is not going well. And that's, that's kind of when I decided I kind of like men. My marriage isn't working. I'm kind of interested in exploring this. Yeah. So I told my wife, I was I'm like, you know what, I'm gay. She's like, you're not gay. I can tell. I would know if you're gay. You're not gay. I'm like, I'm totally gay. She said, then you're bi. I'm like, no, I'm totally gay. This is totally done. We're done. Anyway, it was horrible for both of us. And we wound up separating and we were both depressed and just miserable for quite a while because we loved each other. We cared about each other. We were just oil and water. Yeah. Uh, we had two kids and we lived in status symbol land and right, you know, and, but we, we, you know, we did, we actually did a podcast on my podcast of she and I talking about our divorce and our wow. maniacal focus on being there for our kids brought us through both of our depressions and also kept our relationship, healed our relationship so that we could be co-parents.
1: Amazing. It's almost, you know, the image I have is when a river is flowing and there's a giant boulder in the middle that splits it. But then it comes back and ultimately realizes its oneness. <laughs> it's maybe that metaphysical, you know, reality behind everything already, but amazing. So this thing, you made these decisions. So you're in the depth of this this pain, this sickness, this breakdown in your marriage, and you say, right, not everyone does this, by the way, that they're like, you know what? Here's some really specific goals or these outcomes that I'm committed to of this, you know, produce A million dollars leave it to my ex-wife and sons sixty thousand dollars to charity and this thing about run the Marine Corps marathon (laughs) like so how did you arrive at that in this period of whatever ambiguity difficulty like how did you come up with those three and that's easy and then I, I want to zero in on the marathon in a moment but okay so how did you do it
0: so the money was clear I wanted I wanted to leave the money and I had just gotten a new job with another startup and it was, you know, another one of those rocket ships. And, like, I can totally, like, we can, we can totally, if I put my head down, I could totally go and make the money. And then the marathon piece, you know, we said the charity piece was for me to make up for being such a, such a shit in, world, in, the life, in life. And then the, the marathon was I was sitting in a uh, parking lot waiting for a doctor's, another, another doctor's appointment. And this guy, Stu Middleman, is being interviewed about running on NPR. Oh, yeah. And he's an ultra marathoner. And he says anybody can run. We're bipedal, and we're we're supposed to run. We're supposed to be able to run. Meanwhile, I have pain in my body. My back hurts. This hurts. And he says everybody should be able to run. So I bought his book, read his book, and I start. You know, I started running. You know, like a block, two blocks, a couple. And then finally, I called him and I said, "Would you coach me in running the Marine Corps Marathon?" And it was five months away. And he said, "I will coach you into the next one, not Mm. this one." I'm like, no, I have to run. I have to run this one because I thought I'd be dead by the next one. So I, 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 followed all his instructions, and it just didn't matter. It was a ten for me. Like my back hurt, my knees hurt. I didn't care, right? I didn't have time to go running. I didn't care. I was going to do this, and then I made it public and raised a bunch of money for me to run the Marine Corps Marathon. And now I couldn't let people down. Oh so. yeah,
1: yeah. Once you once you make it public like that, then there's <laughs> there's another level of leverage for sure. I want to go back to this thing that you said about telling your, your ex-wife you were gay, because my understanding is that you later came out and reversed that. No. Is that, no? No, no, no. I don't know why, I don't know why, where I came up with that.
0: Probably, probably because I just got married in December to my partner of seven years. Um, Okay. Yeah, no, I, I I never, I never reversed that. I do, I do admit that the whole thing is fluid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that that there there there's opportunity if I, you know, but I'm in a committed relationship and very happy with what I my choice at this point. Right on.
1: Good for you. That's great. Okay, I want to go back to this thing about tens, only tens. Because, you know, there's this advice especially I think in a startup world and as people are encouraged to to really focus in, you know, practice minimalism, essentialism, this kind of idea that if it's not a hell yes, it's a no, you know, kind of thing and that was the way that i interpreted this idea of only tens but will you talk about what do you mean by that and how do we know when something is a 10 in our lives so for me
0: it's it's something that, that something that needs to get done needs to get done now and needs to get done by me mm. or i want to do it and it's been deemed not a distraction from the real 10. it's like i have a whole flow chart that someone put together for me but it's it's really you know it absolutely has to. So I stay. So the premise of only tens is your list. So I, I did David Allen's Getting Things Done. Yep. Twice. I went to his seminars twice. My I bought the label maker and my folders look awesome. And I got two weeks out of it one the first time, and I got three days out of it the next time. Right, writing my list and all that stuff. So I'm the anti-list guy, mm-hmm. right? For me, I can only, since I have ADD, if I have 10 things on a list, they all scream at me at the same volume. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what it is. One could be, you know, go get the mail, and the other could be, pay that bill that's due, and the other one could be, go save a life. They all have the same volume to me. I yeah. can't figure out my big rocks, my little rocks. My, I, I can't do it. Yeah. So for me, I can only look at one, two, or three things a day. So only 10s, what, what if I got hit by a car today and went to the hospital, has to get done today? Or I really mm. want to get done today. And then it starts, it starts to come to essentialism. What is the essential thing? And then what Rich Liffin, my coach at the time, says, why don't you trust your energy? Where is your energy bringing you, right? And I'm like, well, that, I'll be homeless, right? But what I noticed was I had juice for this. or I had, like, So when I had juice to, ru- to write the book, I followed that, wrote the book. I felt I had juice to do the podcast. I didn't want my head didn't want to do the podcast, but something wanted to do the podcast. Podcast comes into fruition, right? So I, when I slowed down and started to learn the different parts of myself, what my head wants again, my mouth wants cake, my stomach wants nutrition, right? When I started to learn the difference between the cake and the nutrition, and I was able to be at choice because there were bigger tens, there were bigger things that were important to me. Then I could really pare down my list. And then I found when I, when I brought it to my clients, you know, they would, they would bring in these lists with 150 things on them. Yeah. In and by the time cases, I'm done like, with them, they've delegated 75% of it. Yeah. You know, good, good 20, 20% of it was like, these don't even have to get fucking done. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, like I just, the, as Steve Chandler calls it, the I should have done yesterday list, right? Yeah. And they, they would just get room. They would just be able to breathe when I just confront it, so I say, everything has to fight to be on your to-do list. Your to-do list is your life, so it has wow. to fight to be on your to-do list. Is it somebody else's agenda? Are you doing it because you're afraid to not to do it? Are you, you know, like, is there a, is there a boundary you need to set? Is there an agreement you need to make? And every, all, you go through all those qualifiers, and it's amazing how many things fall off your list.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. I think that's my experience as well. If we're willing to look at that, you know, honestly, to answer that honestly, and, and, and to go back to something you said. A, a few minutes ago about this idea of earnest, you know, and for you, you created that as a persona, right. which I love recognizing there's a part of me that's ultimately not serving me, you know, being a pleaser for others, trying to fulfill other people's agendas or avoid upsetting them, you know, that kind of thing. And, and if we're again, if we're willing to look at the things on our list with that level of, you know, I, I almost look at it as discipline or honesty, you know, I'm, I'm going with honesty yeah
0: because again, discipline is rough for me. honesty yeah. is the honesty is the solve the honesty is is how I figure my way through. Then the honesty is do I want to have that difficult conversation to set that boundary to say no to renegotiate, and if I don't want to have that conversation, if I'm too scared to have that conversation, then I choose what I'm doing, and the ten is avoiding the confrontation yeah right like so i get honest with myself so i'm choosing everything all of a sudden i'm no longer a victim i am at cause am I'm, I'm an owner of my own experience and wow. i'm not a victim of anything
1: yeah that's that's so powerful really acknowledging the choice that's available to us in every moment you know whether or not we choose to exercise it you know is another matter but even being aware that it exists i think is a is a evidence of growth so that's beautiful when, I love what you're saying about this list. One thing I wonder is without some kind of a routine, I mean, even if it's not a discipline driven routine, even if it's a, I don't know, like you were saying where your energy is kind of encouraging you to go or prompting you. Because what I'm thinking is without any kind of a routine with which you look at the list, that You know, the list is maybe no good if you're not making the time either the night before, morning of, Sunday before the week starts, something like that. What have you seen when it comes to routine as an important part of what you're talking about here?
0: So everything for me is experimentation. Like what works for me is not going to work for you. Everything is experimentation. What works for me is if I sit down in the morning after my meditation, after my journaling, after I do my whole morning routine that I do to, you know, because, you know, to, to get myself OK with
1: living in the world. Yeah, um, which, which, by the way, if you'll permit me to jump in right there and just ask, what does your current morning routine look like?
0: Getting up at 5.30 in the morning, I have my coffee meditation. I know I'm not supposed to drink coffee, but I love my coffee with turmeric in it, uh, my Bulletproof coffee. And I, I sit on my cushion with my coffee, and I journal for three pages. I do morning pages journaling. Then I read a little something, uh, you know, s- spiritual. Uh, what, are you, what are you reading?
1: To, what did you read today?
0: Today I'm reading I Am That by
1: Sri Nargadatta Maharaj. That's that's the book I'm reading. I've been reading every day for the last year. It's blowing my mind. I is saw it, your it, Facebook post. Mind creates the abyss. The heart crosses it. I wanted to ask you about that. It's is amazing, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes. That is amazing so that beautiful. you're reading the same book that's yeah. not that's not like that's not like the power of now
1: <laughs> no it sat on my shelf for years before i think i was ready for that book but i interrupted okay so then you're reading and, so then, you... and
0: then and then i sit zazen you know meditation for a certain amount of time or and, i'll intersperse that with a little joe Dispenza because i'm just i just love joe Dispenza.
1: yeah he's amazing and uh, and then it's after all that that you'll look at your list
0: then then i'll then i'll go to my whiteboard okay and, I'll, and i and i write on my whiteboard. What it is that I want to get done. If I didn't do it the day before, okay. or if I did it the day before, I look at it and see where I lied to myself the night before, because I'm really untrustworthy. Mm. I'll put shit on my list that I have no intention of doing, and yeah, then that's I think when we I'm, all do that, right? And I, and we, I got to get honest.
1: Yeah. So thank thank you for sharing that morning routine, and then to go back to what you were saying about everything is experimentation. What works for you might not work for me or somebody listening. Yet I think it can be valuable to hear. What does work for others is we, you know, our experimentation doesn't need to be based entirely on experience. Mm-hmm. We can learn from others' experience. So uh, by the, then way, by with the that, way, if you
0: if you want for for your audience, and I'll even make a web page for it. I have an only tens free video series. Awesome. So I'll put it on a page for you guys, and you can put it in the show notes, and they can have that free free course. And I'll even, yeah, I'll, thank I can, you. I can put my journaling course on there too
1: no that that's wonderful and and will that flow chart also that somebody made for you about the tens is that something that could be part of it
0: i will i'll put that i'll put that on the no actually it's in the video so yeah it's okay there.
1: perfect yeah thank you for, thank you for that i think that will be helpful is you know I, I went through a period of a number of years where i was pretty studious about learning you know i did also getting things done which i i still use most of it uh, i'm a huge proponent i know it's not for everybody but different things. And, and I'm at a point now where, although I recognize there's always room for improvement, I feel like I've reached a pretty great area for me that balances productivity and contribution with enjoyment mm. and rejuvenation time with family and, and friends, stuff like that. So I know not everybody's there. Many people, they wake up in the morning and it's like chaos, you know, like somebody left the front door open and the storm <laughs> is blowing inside the house. I know, have lots of, of chaos in my life. I do ha- you know, like I do have lots of, a lot of
0: that, but the thing you know even i'll exercise a lot and then i won't and like a lot of things will come and go the thing that has never gone away is i sit i journal i read i meditate and that's the one thing that's been unshakable for a decade
1: why do you think that is
0: i was at a networking meeting and again i'm an introvert i'm an empath so i don't like groups of people but I, i do i go to these networking meetings so that i can be out and the world and find clients and meet people and talk to people and I was at a networking meeting that was overwhelming and huge and I was standing it was standing room only I was standing there and after I leave I get a picture uh, someone sends me a picture on my phone of me standing at the meeting hmm. and someone so says a little birdie told me that my favorite person was at the meeting and I said oh that's cool who's my stalker <laughs> and she said oh it was my husband hmm. and I said why did he take a picture of me and she said He said that you were so peaceful and so grounded and so centered in the middle of that meeting he couldn't take his eyes off you, he's never met anybody, you know we've only met one other person who has that quality and he wants me to go get a proposal from you to work with you. Wow. And now the reason that's so poignant for me is one, it's not how I feel all the time, I don't like groups of people so I feel uncomfortable, like I'm feeling all this stuff and I'm pretty much Ricochet rabbit, right? And, and high energy. And, and I've never been described as Zen, you know, peaceful, grounded, centered. And that's how people describe me now. That's Mm -hmm. consistently open heart. Like, so all this work that I put in over the, over the years, Mm -hmm. is now what I'm manifesting in the world for the people around me. And that, pays dividends that and it's kind of my AA my you know the 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 drunk monkey stung by a scorpion that's in our head yeah it it goes all day every day for me all the time so that's my lifeline to be in this guy I'm not naturally this guy I got to work for it so I got to go do my reps
1: well how do you know that the drunk monkey stung by a scorpion I mean, you say that you're not naturally this guy, but how do you know that maybe you are naturally this guy and it's that other thing that you're not?
0: Right. And uh, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time trying to figure that out. What I know is <laughs> I'm able to be married to one person. Yep. Right? I'm able to, I'm able, I'm able to actually stay on task and make, you know, get to my meetings and, and take care of my clients and be present for my clients and be pre- you know And yeah. I'm not going to let go of that lifeline. So it's become yeah. a 10 for me, just like not drinking. How do i know i can't take a drink and be fine i don't know i might be able to have a glass of wine with dinner i don't know yeah why would i find out so i'm not going to find out what it's like to be without my morning routine
1: yeah you know you know what you're describing is really resonant with me because that's same you know i've meditated pretty much every day for about the last eight years now last three years i haven't missed a morning or an evening session You know, I remember when I read something Deepak Chopra wrote and his advice was to meditate for 30 minutes and I was like, who has time for that, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And now I look at my life and I think I would not not do it, Mm -hmm. you know, partly because I remember what life was like before and I don't want that life anymore. In addition to the fact that I enjoy it, now I've reached a point where I actually enjoy it. And the third element for me, and I suspect maybe you get this as well, is it's like things just show up it not just in life i'm not talking about manifesting i'm saying like awareness insights you know new thoughts or connections that occur as much as i'm not consciously trying to cultivate that it's like you know if i just make space stuff shows up i'm Mm -hmm. like it wouldn't if i was just busy 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 all the time
0: yeah miraculous stuff the podcast came out of sitting on the cushion Right. Yeah. yeah three days, three days of the voice saying, you're going to start a podcast. And I'm like, no, I sound like a male Fran Drescher. Not going to happen. No, you're going to start a podcast. Then the next day, no, you're going to start a podcast next day. Like, you're going to start a podcast. I'm like, right, fuck, OK, I'll start a podcast. I don't want to do a podcast, but I, I'll, I listen. To, I know which voice to listen to right wow. next thing i talk to a client who owns a podcasting company next thing our mutual friend toby is in my life right next thing i know i got a producer i got 10 shows it's rocket ship right and it just builds itself
1: i that's listen awesome. to that
0: voice it happens so now i know whenever i'm on that cushion something comes out of my pen or uh, that voice happens i just listen to it
1: that's beautiful that's that's beautiful and i acknowledge you for that and for anybody listening who hasn't created that yet for yourself You know, I invite you to, I don't even want to say to try because I don't know, Mark, if it's your experience, I don't know that there's a lot of effort involved. I mean, for me, it's not fighting myself. It's just kind of, again, awareness. I go, well, I remember what it was like to live that other life and I don't want to live that life. And at some level, it really is just a choice. Does that occur for you? Is this effortful or is it, you know, choice based or something else?
0: It, it's no longer effortful for me because again the world that I the world that I experience when I sit on my cushion and you know I have my pen that world and that connection is now more real than a lot of other stuff so yeah. I, I love going back home but it wasn't that it took probably five years yeah. so when I teach people to meditate now I, I teach them the one minute meditation yeah like let's do a minute just give me yeah. a minute I teach them, to, you know, I, you know like, like, let's do morning pages for one week, just one week. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I've never met anybody who's done morning pages for more than three days and has not been completely enamored with the miracle of it. They'll stop yeah. it after a few weeks and then go back to it and back and forth, and like any good habit, right? But those two things together will set the stage for being able to be conscious about the life that you start to create.
1: Yeah, no question. That's true for me as well. I started the morning page process after a friend invited me to participate and I ended up doing it for almost five years. Didn't miss a day in nearly five years. And it, 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 and I never went back and read any of it. I've I've still got probably honestly four foot high stack of, you know, notebooks, but just like you're saying,
0: I tear it up.
1: Oh, you do every day,
0: every day. I tear it up. If there's some wisdom, I'll put that in my journal. But I want to be able to say things like this, fucker, this bit. You know, like I, I want to say shit that needs to get out, that isn't so spiritual, and yeah. get it out, and be able to tear it up and not worry about anybody looking at it.
1: Yeah, that that's powerful. So, if anybody isn't familiar with this morning pages process, Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way, I think it's a fantastic book. So many people... I'm going to put
0: I'll put the link on my um because I I cite her in my my journaling. Video, so I'll I'll put that in there for you.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Okay, let's transition to the enlightening lightning round. You good with that? Sure. Okay. So again, this is a series of brief questions. You're welcome to answer as long as you want. My aim is to ask the question and for the most part to stand aside. Okay, question number one, please complete the following sentence with something other than a box of chocolates. Life is like a... Video game. Okay. Okay. Number two, borrowing Peter Thiel's famous question, what important truth do very few people agree with you on?
0: Ooh, actually, you know, in my world that this hustle and grind culture, that the Grand Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk, people are eating your lunch while you're sleeping is the way to live. That Mm. slowing down is death. Yeah. I feel like I'm betraying a confidence when I say people who look like me are killing themselves in record numbers. That diabetes, heart disease, broken marriages, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, Netflix addiction are all byproducts of trying to be in the 1% and that our fancy cars and our million dollar houses are a facade to an an emptiness Mm. and that everything that we want is right there in our lives if we just slow down to see that we've already won. That one, that one is a rough one for me because I feel like I'm breaking the confidence of everybody that I know because I live in the middle of this.
1: Yeah. Well said. Powerful. Thank you. Okay. Number three, if you were required to wear a t-shirt with a slogan on it every day for the rest of your life (laughs) or a phrase or a quote or a quip, what would the shirt say?
0: It's all okay.
1: Awesome. Number four, what book other than your own have you gifted or recommended most often?
0: Most often, oh, the coaching habit by Mon- Michael Bungay Stanier. Like every new, you know, anybody that I coach who's a new leader who you know who leads a team, I make them read that book, and we we talk about how to get the responsibility of everything off your plate. So I give that book away over and over again, and then I think the second one would be the Way of Mastery by Shanti Christo.
1: Mm, that book just came up for me in conversation with someone. I haven't I haven't read it yet, but. Recently landed on my radar. And the coaching habit. Yeah, what a fantastic book. Isn't it great? It's just so
0: so right in the right on the money, something you can do immediately, you know, when you're when you're an overwhelmed new leader and it's just it's just brilliant. Yeah. Besides he's uh, funny as shit if you listen to the
1: audio. He is. Yeah, he is. He was a guest on this show about that book, and I actually just interviewed him last week for his new book, The Advice Trap, which by the time listeners hear this will also be out that releases February 29th of this year oh, I 2020 can't wait. it's great yeah he builds and deep he builds on what's in the coaching habit but deepens and he gives name to these patterns that are evident but they're they're funny but they're also real mm. you know when clients do this when clients yarn when clients popcorn when clients big picture it's like oh my gosh i love having a distinction so anyway it's awesome Okay. I'm more, I'm deeper in the lightning round than I want to be. I'm going back to the questions. <laughs> okay. Before I do, before I do, I just want to ask this book, the way, the way of mastery. That's what you said. Yes. It's this other book, right? Yes. Why do you recommend that book? It's the
0: Christian version of I am that hmm. it is. So, you know, I've spent the last long time studying Christianity, studying Buddhism, studying Judaism and mysticism. And, um, the Bhagavad Gita, and so I love all the flavors of all mm-hmm. this. And when you go down, boil it down, and none of it's all of it's the same, right. right? So the the way of mastery was recommended by to me by Steve Hardison, who is known as the ultimate coach, wonderful guy, and you know he, the way he lives his life really kind of attracted me to it. And I've already been steeped in a lot of what is in the way of mastery, and that, and be, raised, being raised Jewish and being gay and being a little freaked out by the Christianity stuff. This isn't that like, this is, this for me is adult, a course in miracles, (laughs) like grown up, a course. And I'm not putting down a course in miracles. I like, it's it's amazing. But this is just kind of the Christian version, Christ talking as a master and showing us that we're also a master, that we're Mm. brothers with Christ, Christ Mm. consciousness. And it, and there isn't a word in it that's different than I am that. There isn't a word different than Boundless Intimacy, which is my Zen version of this, all of this. It's just, for me, it was just so healing and loving, and I learned to absolutely, in it that Christ says, you cannot know God without loving His creation, and you are His creation. That hit me. Like, I can't know God until I love me. Mm. That's an obstacle, yeah, right? That's an obstacle that I'm putting in my way of knowing God. If I say all I ever wanna know is God and truth and reality, And my way through is to love me that's a so so uh, that's that's an exquisiteness that i want to live with so that's why i give that book Mm -hmm. away right on
1: well thank you for that okay number five this one's about travel recognizing that you travel a ton what's one travel hack meaning something you do when you travel or maybe something you take with you to make your travel less painful or more enjoyable
0: i bring my food i either find a whole foods or I, I bring it with me in my suitcase. I used to bring a blender with me everywhere, <laughs> my little uh-huh. bullet blender, but I, I bring shake mix everywhere I go so that I can have have that meal handled wherever I go.
1: Very healthy of you. Okay, number six. And I didn't mention, I didn't mention this by name, but we'll be sure to put it in the intro and of course in the show notes about your podcast, Mastering Midlife, right, is the name. And And so, so this, this one, one. I realize you might. And you again you're welcome to answer as long as you want. But this one's maybe really pertinent to somebody who has a podcast by that name, which is number six. What's one thing you've started or stopped doing in order to live or age well?
0: Oh, sugar. It's all sugar, American wheat, you know, is is it's just horrible for me. Like I can't I have I'm I'm fifty-seven years old, right? So I have trouble using my hands when I eat too much sugar, too much too much dairy, too much wheat my allergies went away when i cut out sugar and dairy and you know i I indulge here and there but i I pay for it Mm. that's been life the absolute life changing and Mm. then stretching so for me you know stretching again whether i exercise or not is always gone up and down and in and out stretching stays constant and that's because of back issues and and i wouldn't let that go
1: no thank you okay number seven what's one thing you wish every american knew
0: that we're all in this together Mm. That there is no you and me like that. The, we are flip sides of the same coin and we're only, only going to make it together.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Number eight, what is the most important or useful relationship advice you've ever received and successfully applied?
0: It's not them. It's me. <laughs> mm. That's like, uh, like a, I create my relationships, you know, and, and that, that I, uh, I, I, I am responsible for creating my partner. I am responsible for creating. If I want love in my relationship, I create love. If I want intimacy in my relationship, I create intimacy. If I want honesty in my relationship, I create honesty. It's not them, it's me. Mm-hmm. That, that was game changing for me. That How I, did you learn that? I had a guy named Mort Fert- Fertel on my podcast who was a marriage counselor. And he just said, you ne- you've never married the wrong person, you just are the wrong person in the marriage. Wow. and now of course there are people you know you're, you're getting you're getting abused you need to remove yourself from the situation so i'm not saying that that's a catch-all for every thing but right. like i love the person i'm with now wow. how am i creating the relationship how am i taking a hundred percent responsibility so and that's how i live right how do i take responsibility 100 responsibility for everything that occurs in my world right i created this world i live in this world i wrote the script for this world and i know some people will have trouble with that I just know that from experience so how do I take it's really easy to, to know that in most of life but not know it when it comes to politics or your partner right yeah. <laughs> so those are the exceptions yeah. I create everything in my life except my asshole partner or the uh, asshole other party but taking a hundred percent responsibility for my response my relationship has been a game changer.
1: Yeah, if, if only my ex-wife had known that, our marriage would have worked Exactly,
0: out. right? <laughs> I've, tra- I've been trying to get my partner to understand that he needs to take the responsibility for me and not happening.
1: Yeah, no, that that's powerful. Okay, and number nine, aside from compound interest, what's the most important or useful thing you've ever learned about money? Or what's something that you're always sure to do with it or never to do with it?
0: So money is my, you know, so I've been homeless and I've been a millionaire and I've been broke again. Like I've, I've run the gamut in every, I've never cared about it. Ramit Sethi said something to me that just blew me away. Bankruptcy comes very slowly, then all at once. Mm. And, you know, so I, I learned that the hard way, going from having a, High paying job to being an entrepreneur to spending my first three years traveling all the around the world doing kind of what you did. Go, let's go meet every guru, every brilliant person. Let's go do every program that could possibly be so I can master what I do, right? Yeah. And then on the other side going, oh shit, I'm an entrepreneur. I have alimony and child support and Oh my god i have no business driving a mercedes anymore right like yeah. i'm a uh, so uh, that was the ramit Seti thing was bankruptcy comes slowly at first and then all at once and that and learning that i am an entrepreneur in a business absolutely game changing for
1: me what do you think the biggest change is because i feel that same way you know like i've i've asked myself a lot why am i growing the school for good living as a as a BLLC as a for-profit organization, why not do it as a nonprofit? Why not do it as a hobby? you know this kind of thing and my answer to myself is because there's something for me to learn or become I'm very clear you know on multiple f- facets of this from the marketing and sales, how do I position and communicate to somebody? how do I understand their need and and you know communicate in that way how do I, how do I live and operate with integrity on the back end of the mm-hmm. accounting and the finance and like all this so for me that that's very clear for you what what do you say like when you talk about entrepreneurship you know has this there's an important aspect there for you when it comes to money totally it's
0: it's almost the same thing and I can I can tell you for me the epiphany came in morning pages when I was thinking about I'm just open-hearted. I want to give my gifts to the world. I just want to, I just want to, want to help everybody, no matter what. Why, why do I focus only on rich people and successful people? I just want to help everybody. And yeah. it occurred to me that I had these, these four prongs. It was uh, family, spirit, mission, business. And then it got really clear to me that without my business, my mission doesn't happen. Without mm-hmm. my business, my family doesn't get supported Without my family, I'm not the person who I want to be in my spirit like and it just showed me that every aspect of my life, my family, my spirit, my business, and my mission are interchanged and that mm-hmm. for me, not taking care of my business was shortchanging a leg on the table.
1: Wow that's amazing and and what I can imagine and you can you know kind of correct me or or add to, But that's a very different place from which to come or show up or act in the world than where you were before as that salesperson who had the imposter syndrome, you know, somehow pulling a rabbit out of a hat every month to make this, you know, commission check or whatever. But how do you how do you see your life and work different now, given what you said about these kind of four legs of a table and all interchange with one another versus, you know, how you operated back then? Is that, does um, that question make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, so for me, the only reason to be alive is to love. Hmm. The only reason to be alive is to connect and to see the reality that there is no you. There's only us. That, for me, is, is the ultimate in, in seeing behind the veil of what the video game that we're playing. Hmm. But I did incarnate. I did come here. There is a game to play. right? Yeah. So now I see my business as a game to play. I don't need to be Jay Shetty and be all over the internet, right? I don't need to go charge a million dollars a session and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But the game I want to play, the game that I've never mastered, even though I made tons of money, Mm -hmm. I've never mastered being a conscious businessman, entrepreneur, taking care of my family, taking care, like, I've never, I've always made more money than I needed after I was homeless, Mm -hmm. then I made more money than I ever needed. So I didn't have to be conscious about money right mm-hmm. so for me now the game is it's it's the game i want to play yeah right now my 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 husband's value is stability predictability right Your safety mine is we i don't give a shit. right but <laughs> if i love him i need to provide that right mm-hmm. so yeah. that's the game i want to play is how can i expand my range I've done free spirit, I've done you know, cashing in the chips and going and living my, living my dream, or as Brene Brown says, daring greatly, right? Yep. And then she wrote Rising Strong because people were saying I dared greatly and I hit the pavement, now yeah. what do I do, right? So that for me is, you know, and can I trust myself to be, a, it's really about growing up for me. Can I trust myself to be an adult to really handle this stuff?
1: That's, that's awesome, thank you for that, for that perspective. Okay. Well, the, the last thing here in the enlightening lightning round is just this. I want to be sure to, to ask you if people want to learn more from you or to connect with you, what would you have them do?
0: Well, they can go to my website, markjsilverman.com or masteringmidlife.com. I both go to the same place. And that's, you know, there's some videos on there where you can get to know me. There's free stuff. The podcast is a great place to get to know me. I kind of leave it all there. Episode 50 is I had one of my guests actually interview me so they can find out about me, but it's more about them. So I like, who cares about me? What I, what I care about is that they go to the, they go to the podcast and they Mm -hmm. find the topic. Cause we talk, we talk about depression, mental health. We talk about money. We talk about leadership. We talk about sex in our forties and fifties. You know, we talk about caretaking, like go find the topics and then go research those people who I interviewed on those topics. Mm. And learn for yourself, yeah. because you know this this playground is your playground. You know, so I don't really care what people know about me. Is how can I bring them something that they can go now live the life they want to live?
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. And the other thing here is, I just want to share with you that as an expression of gratitude to you for making time and sharing of your experience and and your wisdom, one of the things I've done is I've gone on Kiva.org and I've made a micro loan of $100 on your behalf to an entrepreneur. She actually lives in Cambodia, usually loan to entrepreneurs in India, but Nav lives in Cambodia. She's gonna use this money to buy vegetable seeds and fertilizer for her farm. She's 58 years old, so she's a little ahead of you, but she's a widow who's a mother of two children. One of her kids works in a factory and she's been doing this work for 10 years, for the last 10 years. Wow. So anyway, we're helping her out a little ways. That's, That's
0: beautiful, thank you.
1: And thank you for giving me a reason to do that. Okay, so the last part of the interview here is one around creativity, writing, maybe marketing and promotions. I threw my question set for this part of the interview away probably <laughs> two months ago, but again, knowing who I'm endeavoring to reach and serve with this is people who want to do what you've done, which is you know to commit their ideas to writing and put them out in the world in a way that matters, You know that people receive and it makes a difference. We talked a little bit about how you did it, that you entered this writing incubator Mm -hmm. that helped you get it done. it was a deadline, it sounds like it was a support structure, but maybe the question to start with is what advice or encouragement would you give to someone who's in this position, either of being in the middle of a project or that is something they've been thinking about? Maybe that's what spirit's been calling them to do, but they haven't embarked on that journey yet. What encouragement or advice do you give to somebody in either one of those situations?
0: So... I suggest that they follow whatever their energy is towards. So if they're trying to write, but they can't write, but they can make videos, make videos. If you can talk to a camera. So like, so my solo podcasts are chapters in the next book, hmm. right? Get, I get those transcribed and now I can flesh them out and I can spend time with them. But the ideas come out when I talk, not when hmm. I write. So that's the suggestion I make is find the way that it's going to come out of you. Do you start a podcast? Do you journal? Do you, you know, just type the other is I, you know, I love that Stephen King says, I sit down at the typewriter at eight o'clock every morning. I don't know what's going to come out. I meet the muse, right? So I believe that anything worthwhile is channeled through you. So you get yourself, I get myself into the right place to allow whatever muse, whatever inspiration is to bring that forth. And then go for it. But the, Mel Robbins has the best advice ever five, four, three, two, sit down and type something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's so simple, but it works, right? You,
0: yeah. It's, it's the, you just got to do it. And you got, you know, and, and a, a, I, I'll put a plug in for an accountability partner. Mm. You know, I have an accountability partner for my sales, for my for my for my business. It's not the thing I'm going to spend time on. I'm going to, you know, do all the I'm not going to follow up and do all that stuff. And I have an accountability partner. I have an accountability partner for my writing. I have an account, you know, so I have someone who I I don't want to disappoint. And mm. my 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 drive to not disappoint people is bigger than my drive to procrastinate.
1: Yeah. That's I think that's pretty common that, you know, we often will give more credence or weight to a commitment we make to someone other than ourselves. So I know that's pretty normal. And, you know, as somebody who's been in this world, you know, now for about a decade, pretty focused on personal growth and the tips and tricks that, you know, can help make these commitments stick and you know, that kind of thing. One of the things I've learned is that yes, accountability partners can be really valuable and accountability partnerships. in My experience often break down right? for whatever reason. So where I'm going with this is what have you found that has made it work like and how do you use them do you do emails phone calls text messages video chat like what kind of frequency duration you know like what have you how do you use it and what makes it work for you
0: different at every time different at every turn so I have, I have a group of people, I have a mastermind that I, I have for the last four years, we just organically, we get on Zoom and fri- at fri- on Fridays and at two o'clock every week. And we're all busy and we, we get so much value out of it. And then we text all week long, hey, how's this going? Is, is, you know, did, you, did you send the book to the publisher? Did you do this? Did you? And we're just constantly in each other's business about what, each other's business, right? And personal life and all that stuff. Every Friday? Uh, every Friday for the last four years. How many people are in the group? Five.
1: So five of you.
0: We were a subset of of another group, and we just started getting on Zoom on Fridays. And the next thing you know, it became the unmissable thing for all of us. We've gotten so close, and we live in different parts of the country. One lives in Hawaii, one lives in New York, California, and Park City. And we just get on Zoom, and we send each other notes and everything. And then I have two local people who are my business-specific business mechanics accountability people. And I have a really good radar for people I can trust.
1: Hmm.
0: I'd like to pick a, an accountability partner that intimidates me a little bit, hmm. that I'm terrified to let down, that I want that they'll fire me if I don't keep up, keep up my end of the bargain. Yeah, and I will also jettison someone who's not supporting me. Yeah, I will. I I will say, look, this isn't working. This isn't why I I'm hiding in this relationship, and you're letting me, or you're hiding in this relationship, and I'm not calling you out. Like, let's. So I, I'm committed to myself. Hmm. It's all about That's me great. being committed to myself. Yeah. Again, it's not them, it's me, yeah. right? I can't yeah, get mad at great. someone who's not going to hold me accountable if that's just not their, their deal. I got to go yeah. find someone who is if that's what I want.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Tell me, how is this second book? I mean, I heard what you said about now a lot of the content for Mastery Midlife, your next book, is coming out of your podcast. Mm-hmm. But how else? I mean, I don't know if you did that with only 10s. It sounds like you didn't. But how is the production of this second book different from or the same as? You know, your first book only Tense. This one is this, so I think this is my
0: magnus opus. Like I think mm. it started out as a how-to, mm-hmm. and now it's it's a it's a lot deeper for me now, and so it's become more organic. And again, the longer it takes to write it, the more it changes. Like if you if it take if it takes you more than a year to write your book, you should be you should be writing your next book because you're you're a different person. But I'm gathering like all everything is gathered, and I am going to go off for a week and I'm just going to structure and write it all together. Mm. And then I'm going to hire my friend Heather Doyle Frazier as my book coach because she's helped some of my clients and done a brilliant job and I'm going to have her help me put it together and then ready fire aim get it out.
1: Right on. That's great. Well, and that leads perfectly to the the next part that I want to ask you about, which is marketing and promotion. Because I know many people they you know, especially if it's their first book, they think <laughs> maybe getting the book done like getting the manuscript completed or getting it out in the world they view that as the finish line mm-hmm. and yet although that is certainly an accomplishment if people don't know about the book they don't care about the book they never pick it up or read it probably that writer won't really be satisfied what have you discovered when it comes to successfully marketing or promoting a book telling the world about it getting them interested in it
0: so the, you know the cohort that i wrote with it was really a brilliant thing wrote with a bunch of you know a bunch of other people And what I did was I sent out to all my communities, I sent out probably a hundred copies, electronic copies to people that I cared about. I asked them to write a review and send it back to me. I made it free for the first three days on Amazon. And then, then I emailed their reviews back to them on launch date. I got commitments from people that they would buy the book for $0 on the first day. And, and and cut and paste their, and I gave them back the instructions on how to cut and paste their review. So they're all real reviews, they're all real people and all that stuff. But I got that instant notice. Hmm. And once you get 25 reviews, Amazon automatically starts to help you. you know, I don't know much about the the business, but getting a posse of people to help you promote hmm. it on the day that you put it out there, gets it on these lists that people do, and then yeah. it takes off. Again, when, it's, when it sold 500 copies, I was like, and then it sold a thousand copies, and my ex-wife was like, "You don't know that many people. Like, I know <laughs> who's buying this book." And then it's selling like three hundred copies a month for years. Like, that's awesome. Who's buying this stupid book? It's just crazy. Because again, I'm ADD. I wrote it. It's not good enough. I don't want to pay attention to it. I I didn't promote it. I didn't do a lot with it. And it took. And I just reread it just a couple couple days ago. I'm like, this is a good fucking book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But mastering, no, midlife I... gonna, mastering midlife is going to mastering midlife is going to be different. I have I have a podcast. I have a following of 30,000 people, right? I have I am of consequence in the world now a little bit. So mm-hmm. there's there's going to be people are way asking me for the book. This is very different now. Like people are like when is the book coming out? And I that's new for me. So wow. it's time to get it out.
1: That's great. Well good. Okay, what else have have I not asked or what else would you like to share specifically when it comes to these areas of writing, creativity, marketing, promotion, anything like that? Oh, you got to you got to press send. You got to press post. You got to press like my first
0: couple of videos were the most terrifying thing ever on the face of the planet. And mm. then I started becoming a ham and I started liking it, right? But and then I started adding I end all my videos and all my podcasts with I love you. The first mm. couple times I did that, I wanted to throw up like Oh my God! Everybody's gonna know I'm just such a such a girly man, you know, hoping hearted, get softy. <laughs> I'm like yeah. fuck it, you know. I do love people, right? But that terror, you gotta get past that terror. You gotta publish, yeah. right? You got you just gotta put it out in the world, and there's just no substitute for that. Yeah. Like yeah. So go go read Seth Godin. It's your turn, right? Mm-hmm. Seth Godin says that, and it's your turn. You know, you've you've never lived in a time where your voice can be heard. That's the good news and the bad news. No. Like, just do it. That's the advice no. I have: is you just got to do it, and you got to be terrified, and you got to be hungover, and you know, deal with the hangover, and the exhilaration is on the other side is unmatched.
1: That's awesome. And what's interesting to me is I hear you share that. I, what comes up for me is that the words that i i believe steve jobs said about real artists ship but what's interesting is there's a different quality in that to me you know what you're saying where real artist ship is like a challenge like there's an edge to that like whoa you know if you're really gonna do this press send you know but you're doing what i am hearing you say is be yourself put yourself out there and then just work through or accept whatever the consequence of that is
0: right and you know again for a guy who's earnest who didn't want to have knees and elbows you know, my, my ex wife used to say, you know, Mark walks in every. You walk into a room and fifty percent of the people are going to like you, and fifty percent of the people are not going to like you. Yeah. Except Mark. Mark walks into in store in walks into a room and everybody likes him. Because I was a chameleon, I had no knees and elbows. I I you know, and now I have knees and elbows. I have opinions. I have I say things out in the world, and people don't like me. For the first couple of years, that was really hard to like have people go. I don't agree with you. You're an idiot. Like. And sometimes I was an idiot. Like to actually, sometimes I say shit, and I'm completely wrong. Like I was on the (laughs) toilet, you know, texting, you know, responding to a probe thing, and I was just total bullshit. (laughs) I got to be willing to be an idiot and go. You know what? You're right. I was totally wrong. Or actually, I thought that yesterday, and I don't think that today. My my beliefs change. They're all made up anyway.
1: Well, I mean, I think there's something very aware in that statement, and you know, it makes me think of something I've heard. Attributed to Gandhi about my commitment is to truth, not to consistency. It's like that's interesting. I might have a certain view, a certain understanding today. Tomorrow it might be different, you know. And nobody's right. I, you know, I, I did. I did a podcast on the
0: Shakira J Lo. Oh, the Super Bowl thing. The Super Bowl thing, and yeah. I was like, I was listening to people going. Oh my god, the Latina Power, it was so beautiful. Then I had to have my kids leave the room. And then oh, they had middle-aged women, wasn't that amazing in their sexuality? And it was gorgeous. And then other people were like, that shouldn't be on TV and that should be right. and I'm like, which one's right? Oh my god, I don't know. That we're exploiting women and it was suggestive. And I'm like, what do I care? Like the like I am so invested in finding the right opinion when they're all right. They're yeah, all or, wrong. They're all right. like depending on which side I st- and I'm like I loved it. Like I had, I had a, I thought it was amazing. And my, my partner was like, yeah, I don't think that was appropriate. I'm like, like, what do I care about my opinions? It's just silly. Like I'm happier without all these opinions.
1: Yeah, we get so attached sometimes. No, that's great. Well, Mark, I've enjoyed this conversation so much and I've, I've taken a lot away from, from your book, Only Tens, from the hour and a half we spent together today I'm really grateful to you for, for the work you're doing, for the message that you're sharing for what I see is the personal evolution that you're willing to put on display for anyone who's willing, you know, or interested to look, I know, you know, living can be a messy business, you know, it can be challenging. It can be unpleasant, you know, but we all have, of course, our own version of it. And as you mentioned earlier in this podcast, a lot of people are opting to end their lives you know, when they reach midlife and it's they've they feel maybe like they've seen enough of this movie and they don't care, you know, how it ends. But the fact that you're you're actually consciously putting a message out in the world to to suggest to people there's another way of living, I think is is really is really important and, and I, I thank you for that.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm right back at you. What you what you've built in this world is exquisite and the integrity with which I go through everything that you put out in the world is is beautiful. So I'm I'm really honored that we connected and that our paths crossed and that we're reading the same book.
1: Yeah, me too. Despite living in an age where we have more comforts and conveniences than ever before, life isn't working for many people. Whether it's in the developed world